everyone, and welcome to another episode of View Press Play News, episode nine. My name's Natalia. I'm the news editor. I'm Jillian. I'm the copy editor. Uh, I'm Michael. I think I'm a staff writer now. So. Hi! <laughs> <Hey>, congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And on today's list, we have some colleges where we requiring the COVID nineteen vaccine, the GOP cancel culture bill updates on the Chauvin trial, also updates on the Gates investigation, and more information on Brazil's COVID response. So according to CNN, a total of 14 universities so far have announced they are requiring students to have their COVID-19 vaccinations before they can return to in-person classes. CNN anticipates that this number will also grow. On April 1st, Governor Ron DeSantis signed an executive order that stated vaccines are not mandatory within the state, but Nova Southeastern University, located in Broward, Florida, will not be following in his footsteps and is requiring all students and campus employees to have the vaccine. As of April 11th, no other Florida university is requiring the vaccine. All the universities that are requiring the vaccine up to this point are allowing exemptions for medical and religious reasons, though. Uh, yeah, this is definitely, I think, um, I think we all knew that this was going to happen. Um, now, you said Nova's the only Florida college so far. Uh, that I saw. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Um, they're, they're a private uh, college, I know, so I wonder if that has anything to do with that. But um, I think eventually that this is probably going to be one of those shots that sort of like any of the other shots we need to go to college that we might need to have to go to in-person instruction, which... Uh, I'm fine with, honestly. Um, I still think for the fall, most colleges should do a hybrid uh, home or, and in person for people that are vaccinated or not, because I think um, some people are hesitant to get the vaccine right now. And as people around them get vaccinated, you'll probably see the acceptance go up. So I think that's the best thing for right now. But I, I do, um, I like what Nova's doing with this. So I think it sets an example and um, I, it wouldn't bother me if FAU or other Florida universities eventually did this. So I actually got my vaccine this past week and I didn't feel anything different. The only thing I felt was a little bit more tired towards the night, but I know other people had different experiences with it. For me, when I got it, it was super quick. Um, my parents just like, cause my parents were kind of like checking it out. Like besides me, um, if they got like an appointment first for me, they were going to book it. Or if I got it first, they were, I was going to book it for myself, but they were able to book it for me and super quick. Like I got in, there was nobody there. I even got there ahead of time in and out in like 10 minutes. They just made me wait like five extra minutes to make sure I was like, fine. I wasn't like feeling anything weird. And then they let me go, but it was super quick. Yeah. Was that your first or a second dose? Uh, first dose, and then I go back in first couple of days of May to get the second one. Yeah, I heard the second one is what's rough. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's different for everyone, but it passes usually in like a day or two. Um, but yeah, I'm excited I get to get mine tomorrow, fingers crossed. So that would be nice. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad that some universities are starting to require it to go back onto campus. I know that me personally, that would make me feel so much better knowing that like at least most of my peers would be vaccinated. Uh, I would feel personally a lot safer. That being said, um, who knows if FAU will follow in their footsteps, I guess. It'll probably just depend on like if more Florida universities start to do it, 
I would have to guess. Yeah, I would guess that it would have something to do with county and stuff too as well. I would think down here in South Florida that you might see more universities requiring it than maybe things in Central or North Florida just because of the politics of the region. And uh, I get that uh, FAU is in Palm Beach and not Broward, so it might be a little different. But um, but we'll have to see. I mean, we do have campuses in Broward, you know, in Davie and stuff. So yeah, I'm curious how like local politics will play a part in that. Oh, definitely. They probably will play a good part in it. Talking about politics, our next one is the GOP cancel culture bill. So a new bill is being proposed here in the state of Florida that would claim to protect ideological freedom in the state's public colleges and universities, according to a HuffPost article. The House Bill 233, which will be headed by Governor Ron DeSantis, would require schools to survey personal political views of the faculty and students that would produce an annual report. If the surveys show a lack of viewpoint diversity, the state university system, board of governors, and the state board of education could force institutions to adopt code of conduct. The legislation would also permit students to secretly record professors for the sole purpose of reporting them should they come under the impression that their right of free speech would be violated. So, so far, only one Republican voted against the bill that that passed with a 23 to 15 on Wednesday. So, Jillian. Um, Yeah, I can't believe this passed. One, I mean, I guess I can. But one aspect also that I read about was that universities, and maybe they changed it, you can let me know, but universities are not allowed to not permit controversial speakers on campus just because they're controversial, like politically. Because I think you remember that instance, I believe it was UF with um, Donald Trump Jr. And um, I'm, I'm assuming it was influenced by that whole thing. But yeah, apparently universities can't like deny a speaker access to the campus just because they're controversial as part of the bill. Um, I think this is really... Um, anti-freedom I guess like just because like colleges are not admitting people because of their personal political views so the fact that they're saying oh well if you don't have enough people of a certain ideology then you know you're gonna have to fix that I think that's kind of silly because no one's asking on college admission applications if you're a Republican or a Democrat Um, so to be policing like the personal political views of an entire like student body that seems a little big brother to me. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm try not to curse because this this made me really angry. But um, this is, I think, like you said, overreach. It's uh, the process of, of education should be apolitical in nature anyway. Um, I, and there's some things from the article that were pretty troubling about, uh, let me try and flip it up real quick. But um, there was a, uh, Barney Bishop, who they quoted in this story, he's a lobbyist in favor of the bill. He told the Miami Herald that he believes that the cards are stacked against conservative viewpoints in higher education, and he hopes that this bill can tilt the system away from, quote, liberal ideology and secularism. Now, secularism, that's a big word. All that means is a separation of church and state, basically, in our, in our uh, you know, in our colleges. And, um, you know, I don't want religion to influence my public education. I, I think there's religious schools right now and there's public schools. And I think that works for both people. 
if you want to go get a religious component to your education, you have the freedom to do so. And if you don't, you can attend a public school. Um, and I also just think that, like Jillian said, the, the surveying of your political beliefs and stuff, that's, that comes off as gross to me. Because right now to fill out a college application, they don't ask you anything about what you believe in, you know, politically or religiously or anything like that. Um, it just seems weird. It seems like a big waste of money. And um, I, I, the recording thing is, is weird as well. Um, and, and just in a, in a large, uh, on a larger point, I'm, I'm sick of, of, of these people talking about cancel culture. It, it, you're not being canceled if people disagree with you. you. You would be being canceled if you were, you know, whisked off somewhere never to be heard from again. There's a difference between people disagreeing with your opinion and not wanting to hear it versus being quote unquote canceled. And, and it's weird that the people that are complaining about being canceled, they're, you know, they're, I'm just tired of conservatives talking about this. It's, it's really annoying. They're not being canceled. No one's not allowing Republicans or conservatives to go to college and say their views. I mean, you know, and, 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 and this idea that college is, is liberal in nature is kind of weird to me. Everything, every class I've been in has been pretty apolitical. I mean, I, and, I, and I've taken some classes that are pretty political in nature. I mean, so I, I think that the professors that I've had at least have really done a good job of staying the middle line to not make either a conservative or a liberal student uncomfortable. So I just think that this is a, like a moral panic, like a, that college is the boogeyman bill. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what you have to say, Natalia. Yeah, so yesterday, me and you were actually kind of chit-chatting about this over messages. I just think, I just think if you're religious and you want to have an education with your religious background, go to a school that is religious already. So if you're a Catholic and you want to you know, you want to go to school with the Catholic ideology, go to a Catholic school. If you're, you know, Jewish and you want to go to a school that's, you know, Jewish fact, go to a Jewish school. I don't understand why these people want to insert their personal religion into a public school because number one, public school, the reason it's called public school is because it's open to the public and anybody can come in, anybody can go out, you know, learn what they want but there's a certain limit as to what is okay in a public school setting and what is not because you can't you can't say oh i'm not gonna allow this student inside my class because they're republican or they're conservative whatever that's wrong but you can be like you know if a person comes into you know a classroom and starts talking all of this conservative stuff and the student isn't safe i do feel like there is you know, the school should allow it to be like, hey, you know, like, we don't think this is safe. We don't think, you know, um, the reaction to it is okay. Don't come back, like stuff like that. Um, I just, I don't, I can't stand these people that want to intersect, interject their religion into schools that aren't religious. And that's why we have the separation of church and state. So the church doesn't influence the state the state doesn't influence the church yeah i was literally gonna bring that up i mean this to me is like a great example of the perpetual hypocrisy within the republican party they tout freedom they tout the importance of the constitution and yet whenever they have the chance they seem to like to interfere with that i mean the separation of church and state it's right there in the constitution and yet 
if you mention anything about separating church from state, I mean, it's so frustrating to them. Public entities are not supposed to be teaching people religion. I am sure if a public entity said that they wanted to if they wanted to teach students about Middle Eastern religions, conservatives would be really upset about that. It's this super Anglo-Saxon Western view, and th to me it feels like they want to impose it on people who otherwise have no interest in it. Um, our education, there's no reason for our education to be met with religion. Yeah, that's a good point. And, 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 and something that we haven't talked about about this is that this bill is being drafted up by people that are not current college students or college professors. And there's an interesting part in this article that I have pulled up uh, where State Representative Geraldine Thompson, she's a Democrat, she's a retired college administrator. The Huffington Post got comment for her, from her about this. And she said that she worried that if this were to pass and the survey results where they survey the students about their viewpoints, she said that they could be used to justify mandatory curriculum, effectively stifling free thought instead of protecting it. When she said, quote, this survey will give someone a basis to say, we need to be focusing on these ideas and these viewpoints more so than others. She said this during a House floor session last month. Um, so, I mean, this goes even further than just religious based things, but I think that we know that this is partly religious based. Uh, you know, it's in Mr. Bishop, who I quoted earlier, said that he wanted this to, he wanted college to go away from secularism and liberal ideology. So, I mean, but I think that, like I said, what's weird too is that it's, it's drawn up by people that aren't in college that may have left college 50 years ago. I mean, I don't wanna be surveyed about my personal beliefs. I, I'm open with them, but I just think that's kind of weird. Uh, Jillian mentioned kind of big brothery. I, I don't think that's freedom, you know what I mean? I, I want everyone to be able to go to, to school regardless of what they think, even if I disagree with them. Um, but, and I just don't agree with this whole broad cancel culture thing. If someone disagrees with you and doesn't want you at their campus, you know what I mean? It, 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 it doesn't mean you're being canceled. You know what I mean? If, if, if you have a certain viewpoint and someone denounces it in public, that doesn't mean that you are being canceled. That means that someone is disagreeing with you. I mean, being canceled would be being silenced. And I, like I said, in my experience, I have not seen that. And I have not seen this liberal indoctrination that like conservatives love to talk about in college. I have not seen that personally from any professor. Yeah, me neither. I mean, most of my classes in terms of political views, I mean, we've had lengthy conversations between people on either side of the political spectrum um, as far as students go. And like you said, faculty has always been really good at being, you know, in the middle. Um, and I, I think this is also being influenced by the, this bill is motivated by the fact that statistically liberals are more likely to have a college degree than a than someone who is a conservative. Um, but nothing is stopping someone with a right-wing ideology from going to school. Like I said, there's nothing on the application asking you what your political beliefs are. There's no one asking you through the admissions process and there's no one who's making that decision based, you know, your admittance decision based on your political beliefs. There's nothing stopping from someone with a right-wing ideology from going to school. Um, and this, I don't know how this would help um, other than really infringing on everyone else's rights. Yeah, so I remember like me and you, me and Jillian, we took a lot of classes like over the last, I don't know, like three semesters, we always have one class together. And all of our classes have always been 
very a-liberal like it they've been like very like okay there's this viewpoint but then there's this viewpoint and all of our classes have been very open they've been very open to conversation generally when we took coverage of public affairs last um last semester it was very open like we were freely able to discuss our viewpoints it was actually part of our class to have these you know these discussions and kind of have you know like you know here's this viewpoint but like also you know like here's this other viewpoint let's discuss it that is part of you know i think of a college education is having that balance of you know here's this viewpoint here's this other viewpoint you know let's be in the middle let's not like you know cause like an uproar of it yeah exactly i don't know um like you said this cancel culture thing like i don't know I don't know where this is coming from. I mean, I think you might remember when Marjorie Taylor Greene wore a censored mask to Congress. And th that's what this reminds me of. It's well, I'm like you're well, you're on national television. I wouldn't call that censored. Um, and it's the same thing here. No one is canceling people who are conservative and want to get an education. That's just not happening in my experience. No, it's not happening. And if you look at FAU's clubs and uh, things like that, there's conservative clubs, there's there's clubs for Republicans and stuff, as there should be. I mean, you know what I mean? No, no one wants to cancel these voices if you feel this way or if you have a certain, you know, we're not advocating for that. College should be open to everybody. But I just think that it should remain apolitical, as apolitical as possible. If you're conservative, you know, you, you're allowed, I don't want anyone to be surveyed about their beliefs. about, And then like, it gets sent to the state and the, the state says, we don't have enough conservative viewpoints at this university, you need to teach more. Cause then that's government inf interfering on our education. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's a slippery slope into pretty much other things that could be worse. You know what I mean? And, and like you guys said, I, I don't see this cancel culture thing. If that was a thing, there wouldn't be Republican pub, pu um, Republican clubs on campus or other things like that. Um, you know, I, I just think that it's a, this is a waste of money. That's what makes me the maddest about it. It's a, it's a real waste of money. And it, 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 I, knowing Ron DeSantis, he's going to sign this. <laughs> I just, I just know he is. Um, but I don't know, man, it's, it's incredibly on brand, I think, with, uh, with our government here in Florida for this to be a, a concern over more pressing needs. Yeah, and you brought up a great point too, and I feel like we saw this with the Bright Futures bill as well, is we have all of these politicians with no uh, experience in education or public education who are making big decisions about public education. Uh, it, how are you qualified to really understand what's going on and make a decision that's gonna benefit the people in these institutions? Exactly. Yeah, it's just, and if they if they did go to college, their last time they were in college was two decades ago, three decades ago, you know what I mean? It's not exactly <laughs> equivalent. So um, I hope this doesn't get passed. I think that it probably end up will, but, um, and we'll see how that ends up affecting things. I mean, eventually, you know, I don't know what eventually would happen if it did get passed, if there's ways for it to then be taken away. You know, if, I don't know how that works. I'm not going to speak on it, but um yeah, total waste of money, total waste of time, total waste of effort. Uh, people are not being canceled. I, I think that this is like a boogeyman now. It's just some, something that people shout. It's become a buzzword like fake news or anything like that. So yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, this this made me angry when, when I read it. So the second week of Derek Chauvin's trial concluded on Friday. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday. So the third week will have started by the time anyone probably hears this. So, uh, but the big thing this week was a lot of medical expert tests experts testified that 
um, that George Floyd died of asphyxiation, not drug use. Uh, Dr. Andrew Baker, who did George Floyd's autopsy, said that Floyd's death was a homicide. But the star witness for the prosecution this week was Dr. Martin Tobin. Uh, he's a global expert on breathing. Uh, and he analyzed video footage of Floyd's death from several angles. And he came to the conclusion that George Floyd died of lack, lack of oxygen caused by Chauvin's knee on his neck. And he also said that Chauvin kept his knee on George Floyd's neck for two minutes and 44 seconds after Floyd had no pulse. He said that drugs had no impact whatsoever on Floyd's death, uh, which and specifically refuted the defense's assertion that fentanyl was what killed George Floyd. Uh, Dr. Tobin said that victims of fentanyl go into a coma before dying. George Floyd never went into a coma before death, so fentanyl use cannot be used as a justification for his death. And he also noted that a healthy person subject to what Derek Chauvin did would have died as well. So anyone subjected to what George Floyd was subjected to would have died. Uh, but, you know, despite the evidence that fentanyl and drug use, and, and Dr. Tobin wasn't the only person that said this, a couple medical experts did, despite that seeming like a death blow to the defense, um, Chauvin's defense attorney, Eric Nelson, continued to use fentanyl or drug use as a reason for, for George Floyd's death when he was cross-examining these doctors. But no medical expert agreed with his conclusions. Uh, and th those were the big things this week were the medical experts, but a lot of police officials testified this week as well that Chauvin violated police policies with his use of force on Floyd, that they don't teach you to take people down this way, that when he was prone, he should have been put up and stuff like this. Um, I've really felt like in real time, Dr. Tobin's medical testimony was very damaging to Chauvin's defense because he was looking at the jury and showing them how you breathe and things like that. And they were showing footage of how George Floyd was trying to get breath, like he was lifting his knuckles very smallly uh, off the ground just to try and open his airways and stuff like that. And he really outlined in plain English how if, if you were on drugs, how your respiratory rate would be showing that George Floyd had a normal respiratory rate, meaning he wasn't under the influence and that drugs did not kill him. I, I thought it was very compelling and it was it was extremely compelling because this guy, Dr. Tobin, is the expert on breathing in the world, pretty much. Um, but I don't know if you how much of the trial you guys caught, but I was really um, I was surprised to, that the defense kept using drugs as a justification after this, because especially because after Dr. Tobin testified, uh, Chauvin's attorney, Eric Nelson, was sputtering over his words. It's like he saw a ghost. You know what I mean? So. Um, I thought that this as an outside observer was pretty damaging, but I'm curious what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, how do you defend his actions? I mean, what, I, I'm not surprised that they don't have any other excuse because I mean, how else do you even defend that? And the fact that we know that he was on Floyd's neck for almost three minutes after Floyd had passed, I think that really highlights the, the violence and the carelessness of Chauvin's behavior because his part of his excuse is that he was doing this because he felt like Floyd was a threat to him. How is someone who's already passed a threat to you and you're still you're still violently on top of them like this? I mean, it's it's so devastating. Yeah, uh, that's that's the thing that they kept coming back to is how do you defend the indefensible? And I guess this is the strategy that the defense has chosen to defend the indefensible um, because 
all of the video and stuff makes Chauvin look so bad in, in, in the way that this was conducted. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that uh, for you to say that drug use killed him, for the, for the defense to say that drug use killed him, that would mean that it had George Floyd not encountered Derek Chauvin, that he would have died anyway. And all these medical experts said the same thing. No, he would not have died anyway if Derek Chauvin didn't meet him that night so which means Chauvin's actions led to his death so I mean that that fits the bill of what this trial has been you know all about I think before the trial they said you know to convict you have to establish you know did his actions lead to his death and that's pretty much been it you know so but yeah uh and and Dr. Tobin said he said that I don't know if I mentioned this before but he said that if you die of a fentanyl overdose you 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 go into a coma before death and by looking at his blood and, and examining things and stuff like that, they, they saw that he didn't go into a coma, meaning he didn't die of a fentanyl overdose. I mean, I think that their defense was a reach to begin with. I mean, it, it, it's just ridiculous in my opinion. But, um, and it makes sense if you think about it, someone that dies of a drug overdose, they would probably just kind of just die. Whereas if you're dying of asphyxiation, you're going to do everything you can to breathe. And from the video we have, we see that George Floyd doesn't suddenly stop breathing. He's trying to breathe for several minutes before he dies, which is consistent with asphyxiation or lack of oxygen. So I think the defense is completely bogus on this. I, I thought that this week was very damaging to them. I know they're going to call witnesses this week to see, and we'll see what, what comes up. But I thought that this week was very, very devastating towards the defense. This is what I was waiting to hear. Um, not that I had any doubt, but the medical examiners, their testimonies, I know that I knew, I figured that those would be pretty damning. Um, and of course they were. Yeah, something that's interesting about this is that about a month ago before this trial started, my mom, she's a critical care nurse. Uh, so she's not a breathing expert, but she knows a good bit. You know, she's been a nurse for 30 years, but she told me point blank. She said that that's death from asphyxiation. You could just tell by the way he's breathing, you know, things like that. And, and it, it struck me as funny that this defense attorney was trying to come at these, these experts on breathing and the med and, and the human body with information that he Googled basically. And, and that's why at one point during Dr. Tobin's testimony, he started stumbling over his words and stuff like that. And it was, I thought it was pretty embarrassing for the defense that day and, and pretty damning, honestly. Um, but I'm curious to see what happens this week. I don't know how this trial can go for a month. That's what I kept saying. If, if it's just going to keep being this and this and this, I mean, I don't even know what the defense is going to have to, when it goes to their turn to prove their point, what they're even going to focus on at this point, because I think pretty much everything on the first two weeks has just been really damning, but especially what happened with these medical examiners, if we, with these medical experts. You would have to disregard the opinion of all these experts. And that's essentially what the defense is trying to say. Like, yeah, but just disregard what all these experts say. You know, it, it just seems weird. Yeah, we'll have to see. You know, like, like you said, how do you defend the indefensible? That's why I think Chauvin won't testify. I think that ultimately, you know, that's been a little bit of a question, but he will not testify because of this. Because how can you defend it? 
Last week, we talked about Florida Representative Matt Gates and the allegations against him regarding sexual misconduct. On April 9th, the House Ethics Committee announced that it will launch an investigation into Gates' conduct, in addition to the investigation that's already been in progress from the U.S. Justice Department for his alleged relationship with a 17-year-old girl. Um, quoting from the Washington Post, in a statement Friday, the committee chairman said that they are aware of allegations that Gates may have engaged in sexual misconduct and or illicit drug use, shared inappropriate images or videos on the House floor, misused state identification records, converted campaign funds to personal use, and or accepted a bribe, improper gratuity, or impermissible gift in violation of House rules, laws, or other standards of conduct, end quote. Gates is denying all of these allegations and is claiming that he and his friends and family are victims of an extortion plot. Joel Greenberg, we talked about him last week, he is the Florida tax collector who was charged with stalking and sex trafficking and is connected to Gates. Uh, he may be willing to provide information to prosecutors from the U.S. Justice Department in exchange for a plea deal, but the negotiations for that are still ongoing, so we'll have to see what happens. If he does uh, go for a plea deal, that would be very bad for Gates, most likely. Gates's Venmo history also, people looked into that this week. Um, it showed that he paid Greenberg $900. Uh, Greenberg sent that money in varying amounts to 18-year-old girls, um, according to Insider. The Venmo payments were labeled for things such as like tuition and school. So um, definitely an interesting exchange. Most people are viewing this as he paid for sex from these young girls. But uh, these are all allegations at this point. Yeah, I uh, I saw uh, that, you know, you know how Gates is claiming ex extortion with this, but I read, and um, I forget where I read it, I read it a couple of days ago that he was under investigation before he even talked about this extortion plot uh, for a couple months. So they had been looking into this for a while. Uh, and I agree with you, if Greenberg strikes a plea deal, that probably means that he has dirt on Gates and he's going to implicate Gates for a lesser sentence for himself. But all these reports that we've seen have seen this have, have mentioned the same uh, details about stuff like this. Like I read two or three separate things this week that mentioned that Gates liked to take ecstasy and then and then meet these young girls. And um, just it, it seemed like the details were um, they all matched up in each story. You know that that all quoted. Um, I don't know if they were the same people. A lot of people were anonymous, but. Um, We'll have to see what comes of this. Like you said, as of right now, this is all allegations. We don't know for sure if he's going to be, I don't think he's been charged with a crime or anything, but um, I saw something about like mandatory, like 10 years for some of this stuff, if you, if, if convicted or if found. Um, so definitely the most damning is, is the, the, the contact with a minor and the sex trafficking, I think. And um, We'll just have to see what happens, what keeps coming to this. I feel like something more is going to break for this every couple of days. So our opinions on this may be outdated by the time this even gets posted on our radio, um, but we'll have to see. It's also interesting because Gates, he was part of the Republican Party, had a lot of connections throughout the Republican Party, particularly with Trump. He was, you know, fairly buddy-buddy with Trump. And none of these political people are coming to his defense, uh, which... You know, doesn't look good for him. Doesn't seem like he has public support. So that's interesting as well, because I know that you know Trope has come to people's defense in the past before when you know allegations pop up, but not in this case.
Yeah, it's it's funny you bring that up because I read that Trump wanted to jump in and defend him, but was advised against doing it because it was not a particularly good look. Um, so, you know, he's always coming to, especially because Gates was such a huge defender of Trump. So he wanted to jump into this, but he was advised by people close to him not to say anything, which I think reads as, you know, this guy might be guilty. You don't want to be associated with him. You know what I mean? So we'll have to see as more details drop. I feel like every day, like I said, something new comes out with this and we're probably gonna know more by Tuesday even probably. So go ahead, Natalia. Yeah, so I quickly pulled up an article that I saw from the New York Times. So Matt Gates apparently in the final weeks of Trump's term, he sought something in return. He privately asked the White House for a blanket pardon for himself and unidentified allies for any crimes that they may have committed. So Gates already, before Trump left office, was already asking for a pardon for all the stuff he did. Or didn't do. <laughs> or didn't do. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that, that's not a good look, you know? At all. I totally need a pardon for something I didn't do. Uh, but that's that's what it comes off as. But um, I, this is just this is bad if it's true. Uh, so, um, but still need some more details. We'll see how they how they uh, proceed with this. But I think everything is like mountains of evidence pointing to at least some level of wrongdoing or at the least inappropriate conduct. You know, sharing a a naked photograph of a woman on the house floor it's probably illegal actually, but even if it isn't, it's wrong. It's not something I want my elected representative to do. You know what I mean? It's, it's not something anyone should do. Um, you know, paying girls for, you know, you're a powerful person and you pay them to, for them to have sex with you and stuff like that. It's just kind of gross. You know what I mean? But um, we'll have to see, like I said, what happens. I'm sure that there'll be bombshells about this this week. Yeah, we'll have to see it. And like you mentioned, he hasn't been officially charged with anything yet. These are just opened investigations. So, yeah, we'll have to see what uh, they dig up about this. We'll have to see what becomes public. So in the past Year Press Play news episodes, we talked about the COVID response in Brazil and how bad it's been. Now it's only got worse. So this week... Ex uh, according to Al Jazeera, which um, they are saying that experts are warning that 5,000 people in the country could die in a single day this month in April. The fear in the cases is being traced to the P1 variant, which is linked to the Brazilian Amazon. If the country can't control the transmission rates, experts are fearing a healthcare tragedy that would endanger the rest of the world as new variants emerge. Bolsonaro continues to ignore calls for a change of tone, but nothing has worked as the president this week said, there's no use crying over spilled milk when referring to the raising death toes. Brazil so far has the second highest death toll in the world, according to the BBC. Wow. No use crying over spilled milk. It's not spilled milk. These are people's lives. Thousands of them. Oh, thank goodness. Let me see if I can pull up. There's an article that shows like every single thing he's like talked about. Let me see if I can pull it up. Michael, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was going to say, this is getting pretty bad. I read something, um, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to quote the exact number, but it said something like to the effect of 100 Brazilians were dying every 45 minutes or something like that, which is absolutely insane. Um, Bolsonaro is crazy. Uh, I don't think that's a controversial opinion. He is absolutely crazy. I can't believe that he was ever elected. Uh, I think this dooms him in 2022. Uh, I think that's when Brazil's elections are right, Natalia. So I think this dooms him in 2022, potentially. And it's interesting that you brought up, this isn't just a Brazil thing. This affects the rest of the world. Because I believe if you're a Brazilian citizen, you have dual citizenship, you can go to Brazil, correct? So if you come back from Brazil, there's a lot of Brazilians in South Florida. This variant can then spread in our communities. Not that we matter more than anyone else. I'm just saying this isn't just a Brazil thing where you think, oh, that's Brazil. Bolsonaro's crazy. I mean, th this affects those people's lives, but it also affects, could affect us here in America, especially in South Florida. We have a lot of Brazilian Americans here and a lot of people that have dual citizenship. I, I believe uh, dual citizenship requirements for Brazil are pretty generous. If you have one Brazilian parent, I believe you are also a citizen of Brazil. So even if you were born in America, um, I may be incorrect on that, but I, uh, I used to date a Brazilian girl and I think that was how hers was, uh, weird anecdote. But um, yeah, um, so this potentially affects everyone, you know? So um, I just think it's a callous disregard for life by Bolsonaro. I mean, it's just amazing. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see I mean, I don't know what his approval is, but this is like the kind of stuff that usually leads to coups or, you know, some type of action against an administration. But uh, I don't know how, I'm not Brazilian, I don't live there. I don't know how people feel about him, but I think that, I mean, the proof is in the numbers, you know, so. Yeah, so I just found it, it's from the BBC. So this is kind of a list of everything that he's, um, kind of said um, in terms of being highly skeptical about the need to take decisive action to tackle this pandemic. He has called the COVID just a little flu. He rejected a nationwide lockdown saying such measures only made the poor poorer. He called state governors and mayors who imposed lockdowns tyrants. He cast doubts on the efficiency and safety of jabs and said he wouldn't get vaccinated. He joked that the Pfizer jab may turn people into crocodiles, dismissed opportunities to purchase millions of vaccine doses way before when countries were starting to purchase doses for the vaccine right ahead of time, he neglected it, and he told people to stop whining about the situation. So just stuff that keeps getting worse. Yeah, that's all bad. The, the one about no use crying over spilt milk really gets me though. I mean, that is so dehumanizing and really diminishes how painful this whole experience has been and deadly this whole experience has been for so many people. That That's really atrocious. Uh, that, that BBC article too, uh, I pulled that up as well, Natalia, and it said, it has a little passage there that he, that Bolsonaro is becoming more and more unpopular. So what I guessed is I guess coming true and that is a good thing, but you know, he has two years left in power. How many people are going to be dead by then? You know what I mean? I, I saw an estimate of 500,000 people dead by July. That's insane. And like I said, this, this affects everybody. This is not just a Brazil problem. This is 
you know, people with dual citizenship in America and around the world are going to go visit Brazil and potentially bring these variants, which we now know are extremely dangerous, extremely uh, more catchable, and they they kill you easier. You know, you have higher hospital hospitalization rate and a higher death rate. So, I mean, this is just bad all around. But that's so callous, man, and and crazy to just like. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my country's burning. Don't complain. You know what I mean? It's, it's weird. It just seems like one of those things where he's picked his party line and he's going to stick with it no matter what. No matter what happens, nothing's going to change his mind. Nothing's going to change his mind to lock down. And um, that's just terrible. Yeah, and they're also flights from Brazil are still coming in. They haven't stopped. Like, I know countries surrounding Brazil have stopped accepting flights from Brazil to and from Brazil um, in order to stop or in order to not allow this new environment to start coming in and start affecting the country. But from the United States to Brazil, you're still allowed to come in. The only thing is you need to take the, um, the COVID test to go to Brazil and to come back. But that's pointless. I see that. I see the test as kind of pointless because it's kind of like you do it ahead of time, but that doesn't mean you don't have the variant or you don't have COVID before you go in. You can easily catch it on the plane. You can easily catch it within those couple of days. Yeah, that that's interesting too because we all we know that there's like an incubation period where you are not you don't have symptoms. You know what I mean? So that's imperfect as well. I, I'd like to see airlines eventually require you to be vaccinated to fly anywhere, especially out of the country. Uh, because, you know, just for situations like this, if there's one country that's having trouble containing this virus or something like that, and or that has crazy leadership or whatever, that helps protect us and other countries as well, you know? Um, yeah, I, I would just, I think it's pretty irresponsible to travel right now on a plane as it is, but I get that some people can't avoid it. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I'd like to see, this is why, uh, a reason like this is why I would want to see airlines require you to be vaccinated to fly in the future. Yeah, and what's interesting, because you're bringing up the need for, you know, a vaccine to fly, and that brings up the conversation of, like, vaccine passports, which conservatives have been, you know, vehemently against. Um, what's interesting, though, is that I believe we've actually had, like, vaccine passports before in our history. I believe it was for smallpox. Um, it's what you have to do. It's how you make sure that everyone stays safe and that you can defeat a disease. Um so I, I hope that we implement something like that as well. I agree. And, and the idea of a vaccine passport is uh, that they're using that as a boogeyman. Um, and you don't have the right as an individual to get other people sick with a highly infectious disease. That's the part they miss about freedom. You know, they say, well, I, I should have the freedom to not be vaccinated. You, you don't have the freedom to get everyone else sick. That's why you get shots when you're a kid. That's why you can't go to school and do certain things unless you have a vaccine. This is a, an evolution of that, essentially. And you brought up we've had vaccine passports in the past for smallpox, which killed tons of people. Um, so this isn't unprecedented. And, you know, I mean, it's just, 
I don't see it as that big of a deal to go get vaccinated and to, you know what I mean? Unless obviously you're going to be, there's going to be waivers if, if you can't get the vaccine physically, if your body can't take it or whatever. But like, that's always been a part of our society. As long as I've been alive, it's like, if you want to go to public school, you got to have this shot. No one's going to make you get this shot, but you can't go to this public school if you don't get this shot. You know what I mean? And and flying is a privilege. It's not a right. It can be taken away from you. No one has the right to just get on a plane and get everyone else sick and go to another country and get everyone else sick. I mean, you know, your freedom to not get this vaccine doesn't infringe on other people's freedom of public health for you to not get them sick or their children sick. You know what I mean? So that's the whole reason we've had required vaccines in places like schools and stuff anyway. Your freedom stops when it endangers public health. That's, that's how the government works. So uh, I think that the whole like complaining about vaccine passports is, is, is BS, you know what I mean? It's, these are privileges, you know? You wanna go to a baseball game, show that you're vaccine. You wanna get on a plane, show that you got your vaccine. Otherwise you're not getting in. You don't get to enjoy these privileges basically. All right, everyone. That was the end of episode nine of You Press Play News. Tune in next week for more news and more information. Mm -hmm.